Hey, this is Carleone. And this is Logan. And you're listening to The Manifest. And this is our newest episode. Y'all let me know if y'all can hear this. Listen to the Manifest Podcast. Got some awesome inspired people on here with me. We're gonna do this thing. King of my city, king of my country, king of As my homeland. Title, king of the filthy, king of the fallen. We live in the game. King of the shooters, looters, boosters, but, and ghettos uh, popping. King of the past, present, future. This, my ancestors uh, watching. King of the culture, right king of the soldiers, king of the bloodshed. King of the wisdom, king of the ocean, king of the respect. King of the optimistic and dreamers that go and get it. King of the winners, district and geniuses with conviction. King of the fighters, king of the fathers, king of the ballet. You might want to go first. Hey, my name is Daniel Blatch. I dropped a million tears. I responsibilities put me here. I don't pedal backwards, but I live on the that I'm looking through and prescribe you the right glasses. Hey guys, it's Travis So I wanna say all these good people are 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 friends of mine or friends of friends that I trust. And so we're on this podcast to talk about <clears throat> we're on this podcast to talk about one thing, you know one thing that really matters not really one thing but one thing that envelops a bunch of things but i see so so many things on social media involving anything other than the real issue they want to talk about anything under the sun but but what's affecting us and so and not just the media but friends and family members whoever's on instagram that i follow um there's a lot a lot of stuff out there and so this podcast is going to be dedicated to the issue at hand and the issue at hand is is racial inequality and so i guess i would you know i want to start with everyone sort of getting a little a little i guess comfortable um and the audience sort of knowing how knowing who everyone is and so the first question i have for y'all um if you're comfortable sharing you can either just give me you can give me a specific um experience or you can give me sort of just a general experience of uh some type of racial you know uh, you know, event that you were involved in or that relates to you. Um, I'll go first. That way, you know, everyone can just sort of get an idea of how we're going to do this. Um, I think one of the, one of the first things that comes to mind when it comes to talking about racial inequality and the, one of the first days I really realized that we are, that I'm different, you know what I'm saying? And people will treat me different because of the color of my skin is um, I, I guess, I think I was in, and it's crazy because it took me so long. I think I was in high school, actually. I was in high school. I went to a public school called Melville. No shade. Uh, it's out there in South County. And I was driving to school, went into the parking lot. And it, oh, also, by the way, if you're not talking, go ahead and mute yourself. Um, and so I was, in, I was driving in the parking lot. And I see this. The, these two trucks pull up. And they both have Confederate flags in them. And my, like I said, this is high school, you know what I'm saying? And they pull in 
and I see these guys get out and they, I'm not going to say people dress, I don't want to do that to people, but dress a certain type of way, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I see them and I, I, they, we sort of lock eyes and I can see in their eyes, like they ride around that and they ride and they're riding around with a Confederate flag for a purpose and for a reason. They wanted me to see it and they wanted me to see how they felt about me. You know what I'm saying? And so we didn't, we didn't even have a conversation. I just got that from their presence and what I saw in their eyes and how they, how they were acting towards me. Like I said, we never spoke, but I could see that. And, and a lot of times you can just tell when people just got something going on like that. And so what blew my mind is that, like I said, this is a high school. Like we're all teenagers trying to get through life, trying to get rid of pimples, go to prom, have a good time, blah, blah. And this is what, <laughs> this is what they're doing out here. And I'm from Missouri. This is St. Louis. Like I said, South County, if you know anything about South County, it's a little, you know, a little more, uh, what's the word? It's, it's interesting. Because it's a good mixture of like, um, of like suburban area, but also it has random pockets of really like poor areas. But my point is, because of that, you, you're able to mix like a really, you know, interesting group of people together that have, they don't have a lot in common. But anyway, so that was the first time I ever really like knew racial attention was like a legitimate thing. I was in high school. I mean, obviously thinking back now, there's other stuff, but that was the one thing that stuck out to me. And then I, I came to grips with, with my own, you know what I'm saying, my own mind. So um, if anyone else has something they want to share, like I said, if you're comfortable, cool. If you're not, you know, we can keep it pushing. Um, anyone want to share anything? Looks like Daniel. Um, yeah. I would say for, for me, man, it's crazy because my teen, as a teen and as a young adult, I didn't, I became aware of it. So. For me, I grew up in the Ferguson uh, area as a young child, like between pre-K and fourth grade. Okay. And my dad, he wasn't a saint, but uh, I witnessed my dad get harassed by the police a lot. You know what I'm saying? And it was times where I would pick up rocks and I would throw it at the police cars and stuff because I seen my dad tussling and, and uh, wrestling with the, you know what I'm saying, the police. And... One particular time, my car had broke down, and we were pushing in the, in, in, in the street. And uh, if we stopped pushing the car, it would have rolled back into traffic. So the police stopping us for a traffic ticket, and we telling them, my dad is yelling, like, I can't stop because we need to get home. And the, the, our, our house is literally like a couple houses down. So they continue to pursue us. I'm push, We both pushing the car, and we get into the driveway. And next thing you know, we get out the car. They had, well, no, not we didn't get out the car, but we stopped and parked the car, and uh, we had to put a rock underneath the car because my dad had a little method of how to, you know, what I'm saying, stop the car because it broke down frequently. So we did that, and that next thing you know, we had about at least seven guns pointed at us, you know, what I'm saying, and I'm like a little kid, and I'm like this with my hands up, and at the time I didn't know what was going on, but as I look back on that era of my life. I'm like, dude, that was really... And then I looked at the history of Ferguson. You know what I'm saying? Even before the Mike Brown incident, I look right, at the right. history of Ferguson. I'm like, dude, it's the reason why my dad went through this, that stuff as a child for years and years. You know what I'm saying? And it wasn't until that I went to two historical black colleges until I learned like about 
police brutality, uh, discrimination. Uh, I learned about a lot of those things. So for me, uh, I grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood as a young teen in middle school and as I went through high school. So I didn't come, come in contact with white people as much as normal people because my school was 100% black. So I didn't experience that stuff until I actually became, you know what I'm saying, what? Living on my own and, and became independent. You know what I'm saying? So that's my experience. And to be honest, bro, that is a, that's a real life, that's, that's a story of our lives. I'm saying like, I, I grew up in some like, over the years, some pretty decent neighborhoods and my dad would get stopped all the time, bro, for no reason. And they would send him on his way. Sometimes he would get tickets for like nothing. A lot of times they would send him on his way, but they want to stop you just to let you know, hey, at any time, you know what I'm saying, something could pop off. I want you to have that in your yeah. mind, boy. You know what I'm saying? That type of thing. So, um, yeah, man, that's common. That's a common, common thing. Anybody else got something before we move on? I'll go. Um, mine. So growing up, I didn't really notice the racism until like Carleon kind of said, looking back, you see it. But in the moment, I did not necessarily. Um, but I'll speak on a more recent incident. Um, I work for a really big health, uh, healthcare company here in St. Louis. And, um, I witnessed one of my managers like saying a super inappropriate joke and um, she came up to me and she repeated the joke again. So I, I knew she had said the joke before to another coworker, but then she actually came to me and said it. And she was like, um, do I say the joke or should I not? No. It's up to you. It's up to you. Okay. This is real talk. Okay, bet. So, so she was like, um, she had this, this bag of grapes and they were black grapes, I guess. And, and she was like, um, yeah, I'm sitting over here and I'm eating my African-American grapes. And I'm like, Ex- what, sweetie? What? So if you know me, like I, I try to not be super confrontational at work um, or in general, but like if it happens, it happens. You feel me? So I was just like, you know, that's not cool. So I didn't say anything to her at at that very moment. I was just like, I did not like that at all. So I went to her later on that day and I pulled her to the side and I was just like, that was very uncomfortable. Like that was just inappropriate. I don't think that should have happened. You're my leadership and I look to you for guidance and things of that nature. But to say that you were eating African-American grapes just because they were black grapes, like that is so offensive. What if I had, what if I said, you know, anything crazy? I I wouldn't, you know? And so she was Caucasian. And so um, that issue did not go over well. She just kind of laughed me off. And that point I was just like, okay, you don't see me. You know what I mean? Like you don't care. So I went to my HR. Our HR is not supposed to tell our leadership if we go they're not supposed to tell whoever you tell on, you know what I mean? Right, right. And yeah. so I went to HR, um, with HR, I thought, you know, it's, it's safe here. I can, I can trust that they're going to, you know, be from not just me, but for everybody else, because mind you on my floor in my department, it was majority, it was like maybe five white people, 
five white people, two Asians. That was it. So everybody else is black. So I'm like, you know, you should like not say that type of stuff. So I went to my leadership, whatever. She didn't say anything. Went to HR. They actually went back and told her um, that I had told them about the whole thing. And um, next thing I know, like I went out of town and I came back from work and she was trying to suspend me from work. Tried to say that I wasn't working. My numbers were down, this and the fourth. So I pulled out all my, because I'm a person with receipts. So you know what I'm saying? If you come at me crazy, I have screenshot for days. You feel me? Yeah. So yeah, I put out yeah. all of my receipts and things like that. And I'm like, I'm actually over on this day. I was over on that day. I stayed over. Like I always worked extra just, just because I love my job. And so I'm like, so you're making this up. Like these numbers are false. Like you're literally falsifying my numbers, whatever. So at that point I just said, you know what, whatever. So I went to the e- EOCC, which is like equality, it's some it's some weird but it's just about like yeah, if you're yeah. being discriminated at work whatever for st louis and so i went to them and i had to actually sue because they they weren't trying to do anything she was trying to defame my character just tear me down crazy i still have not gotten an apology from her um and it was just it was just wild that this happened in the workplace thank god i got a settlement out of that but it's still like i would have did without the money I just wanted my job. You know what I mean? I just wanted to be seen as a human, to be appreciated as a worker. You know, I actually loved my job. And for that to happen, it was just mad unfortunate. And I hope that by now she's learned her lesson, especially with all that's going on now. I just don't think that that was ever okay. So yeah, She probably hasn't learned a lesson, but one day she might. Um, Anyone else uh, want to? Oh, well, first of all, let's go ahead and introduce uh, Travis's wife. Go ahead and talk about yourself for a little bit. We know you just got up. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, hi, guys. Uh, my name is Kamaya Holmes. Um, I haven't experienced um, a lot of racial comments or things like that, just a lot of stares for sure. And when me and Travis would go on dates, people would stare at us. And uh, there was a time where in South Carolina, there was an older couple and they were whispering at each other and looking at us and laughing. He didn't tell me until we got to the table. But we definitely did experience a lot of stares when we first moved to California. It's kind of died down just a little bit. But uh, just other things as far as our future, you know, our family, we talk about how are we supposed to choose a safe environment for our child, how will we know where, you know, where we'll be safe, and are we supposed to be scared of our own people, you know, and things like that. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, and that's the thing, like, not every single, I was, I was actually talking to, um, I won't say names, but I was talking to somebody um, that is in leadership at my church, and I was, I was, I was basically like, hey, we share the same, we share the same skin color, but I promise you our experiences are not the same. Like a lot of, a lot of times it, there's a lot of regional differences. If I'm being very honest, like I grew up in St. Louis, he grew up in California. I'm not trying to diminish his experience because I know if you're black, you're black. That's all. That's what they see. Right. But my point is, um, I definitely feel like you know, regionally where you are and, and things like that have a really big part in how you see, you know, the type of way that people treat you. So for example, you know, I, I gave my, my story earlier. 
I didn't realize that there was any, any legitimate racial t- tension until I was in high school. So I spent the first 17 years of my life thinking, like when my dad got pulled over all the time, I thought that was normal. I thought everybody's dads got pulled over like that. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so I eventually began to learn that, you know, when I moved to California, I did notice a very big difference. Um, here in California, they, they'll do the stares, they'll whisper, they'll talk about you behind your back, but not, but not really say anything to your face. But where I'm from, they say whatever. They do whatever. You know what I'm saying? I, Tia knows. I grew up in a, like I said, we're not on her to bash nobody. But here comes Front Street. Um, <laughs> my the church that I grew up in, um, APC, like there were uh, there were a lot of things that were said, maybe not to be intentionally hurtful, but a lot of things that were said that it just don't make no sense to, for a young, old, white, black. It don't make for it makes sense for anyone to say that thing to me or to my family. And so my point is like that's what I notice regionally, you know, Midwest South. They do whatever. They say whatever. Over here, they probably feel the same way, but, you know, they might just give you a look. They might ask you to move seats. They might ask if you're more comfortable in a different location, different area, that type of thing. And so, um, like I said, not everyone experiences the exact same way, but I, I can promise you, somebody's rich as LeBron James doesn't get away from ra- racial inequality. They spray painted N-I-G-G-E-R on his, on his $140 million home here in, here in California, here, here in L.A. They spray painted that on his, on his gate. And so don't matter if you're rich or poor, wherever you're from, you're definitely going to get hit, hit with, with, with something like that. And so um, I appreciate you going ahead and, and saying what you said. Um, who is left? Does anybody want to say anything about experiences growing up? Or? Sure, Carl. I got Go ahead. Go ahead, Dan. And we'll get you, okay. next, we'll get you next, Travis. So I'm, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, but I was born about two hours away in a small town um, named Rolla, where I, I lived in Vichy. So probably most people haven't heard of that. There's a really, like, there's a college that, oh, yeah, you go to Rolla, you know, yeah, there's yeah, a college yeah. near there. But besides that, not, not really, um, not a lot of people know about it. And um, just a little history about me. So my father is, is um, Black and with a little bit of Native American and my mother is uh, complete German. Uh, so that we, we lived in this small town until I was three years old. And uh, my family was the only family of color um, in that whole town. Uh, most everyone had, um, had, had farms, you know, had animals. And, um, but you know, I was, I was young and I didn't think much of it. Um, our experience, albeit our experience there was pretty good. I moved to St. Louis uh, my family moved to St. Louis when I was three years old. Um, and shortly thereafter, my parents started a church in the inner city of St. Louis. Um, and so I was about four years old and that was, you know, that was my environment. Where I lived, it was a pretty fair mix of black and white kids, you know. I didn't notice that much. Was this, uh, was this you city or, or near your city? Uh, no, um, I grew up in, right between um, Forest and Hazelwood. Okay, got you. So, like, Hazelwood East and West would have been right around there. Um, and, you know, I, I've heard comments, you know, we heard, like, kids were making insensitive remarks. But, again, like you said, you just kind of think that's normal. Um, 
So I, I moved, I'll, I'll kind of fast forward a little bit. Um, I do remember having a conversation whenever I was about five years old with my father. I was like, you know, if you're brown, why do they call it black? But she's white, why do they, you know, but I moved to Boston. And when I moved to Boston, I was 23 years of age. That's when it really hit me. Uh, in, in Boston, contrary to California, in Boston, they tell you how they feel. Um, in Boston, if they think you're ugly, they will say that to your face. Uh, and so from the church, from the church, I experienced a lot of love and for the most part, an attempt uh, to learn, but there was still ignorance too. Um, and the thing about a blind spot is you don't know it's there most of the time. Uh, so this one experience really stuck out to me. I was 22 years old. And I was living with, um, I was staying with a Dominican family. They were pastoring nearby in Boston. And I was sleeping in the living room. And early in the morning, I heard um, a violent knocking at the door. And uh, a few minutes earlier, the father, the, the pastor had left. And so I assumed, you know, this is, the, this is the father. He left his wallet, probably. He's late for work. So as I'm starting to get up and walk towards the door, um, I put my hand on the handle and the door swings open and in rush to uh, two police officers. And for the sake of, uh, you know, just because I don't want to put anyone, anyone's business out there, I, I can't tell all of the situation, but um, they, inappropriately, they inappropriately took um, a young lady of 16 years of age from that home, uh, not knowing that there was a whole, uh, there was a whole surrounding circumstance that would really that would really make that move not only um, advised, but potentially dangerous. Um, I remember I felt never in my life, and I promise you this, never in my life did I feel so much hate towards an individual as I did for this one officer. So um, he, he rushes in and I, I'm demanding, I'm not one to particularly confront anyone who knows me, you know, knows I'm pretty chill. Um, so I was livid. And I was confronting this officer and I said, where's your warrant? Where's your warrant? You, you, you entered illegally. I saw it. Um, he was, I was so adamant after a few seconds, he, he had me sit down and, uh, and they pursued, they, you know, I called my lawyer. Uh, you could tell he was surprised, but my point is uh, what I learned from that situation and surrounding situations in that, in that area, especially in the outskirts of, of Boston, those little cities is that, um, there's a real sense of oppression uh, that minorities experience that is not, not quote unquote normal, or, you know, it's not everyone's experience. And there's a sense of, um, for black and brown individuals of not being aware of one's full right, of one's full expectation. What does the constitution grant you? You know, you can say no. Right. And, and, and officers can sense that there's a culture built around that their authority won't be challenged. And I, I sadly have seen this taken advantage of so many times. Yeah. I, and um, I, I mean, I want to add to that, but I'm going to go ahead and let Travis go ahead and get into his and then we'll go Brianna and then we'll go Janan if you guys have something. Okay, cool. Um, just to piggyback off of what you said earlier, you said something about how over here in California, it's not really like they don't really say it, but they like, you know, insinuate, like you can tell their feelings towards like, oh, that's another black person or so and so and so. But um, one, we like to call those the closet racists for one. 
Um, yes, there's sir. a lot of, so because Alabama is one of those heart civil rights movements, um, a lot of, so you get two types of races there. You're either gonna get the ones that are just playing out, hey, I'm racist, you know, they're sporting a Confederate flag. If you tell, try to have a conversation about why they want to, you know, support that Confederate flag, you know, they're real quick to be like, oh no, you know, it's to support the South or whatever, but not understanding their full knowledge or not, you know, at a young age, I didn't know that the whole information on the Confederate flag. And that was one thing that um, you said earlier, we don't know what we don't know. Like our knowledge is always clouded until we're older. For example, I have Marines who have never heard of, like within two weeks or within the first week of um, George Floyd, uh, George Floyd's death, first thing I get a question about was, Sergeant Holmes, what is Black Wall Street? These are things that not many of us don't learn about until we're adults, but back to the closet races um, in Alabama, you tend to get those in the smaller cities, but or not in the small cities, but in the bigger cities. So like Montgomery for me, the school that I went to um, when I was in middle school, it was predominantly black. There were a few white kids um, here and there, but they really didn't, you know, everybody got along with everybody because it was such a big diverse school. But this girl that I was friends with or whatever, I didn't realize at first, but, I was, you know, I was just, you know, being young and naive. We were cool, we were, we were hanging out all the time, but whenever she would get dropped off at school or picked up from school after school, I would always have to stay a distance from her. And I never realized why until one day I heard her dad like blatantly loudly say, who is that N-I-G-G-R right there next to you? Or who is that? I, it was something like, who is that? Or who was that you were standing there talking to? And you know, I had to ask her, I was like, yo, what's up with your dad the next day? Because I didn't realize that that was just something that was just like, she had to be okay with her parents, you know, being like that versus, you know, at, at that age, you know, still being able to say, hey, this isn't something you should be saying. And it kind of backfired on me when I realized later in that same school year that some of her friends felt the same way that her dad did. So they were, you know, whenever we didn't get along anymore, because, um, you know, middle school friendships are like a flame. They light up one moment, next thing you know, it's gone. Yes, and as soon as the friendship was over, um, like, it was crazy. They would just look at me, they were staring at me, like, oh, there's your, uh, and then they didn't like why we stopped being cool. So they were like, oh, there's your old N-I-G-G-R friend over there. How do you, you know, you gonna speak to him today? Cause they were like, they didn't get along with her. And that's why me and her stopped being cool because she didn't say anything to him. But they were, you know, they would still walk by her and like, oh, there's your little N-I-G-G-R friend. You know, you gonna speak to her? And I had to, you know, either A, say something about it or B, you know, just deal with it. And cause I wasn't as confrontational as a person. Plus I was, a kid who ended up in a bad position. By the time I started going to that school, I had to just not say anything. But that's like one of those things. Closet races are out there, and those are like the worst kind because no one ever acknowledges, you know, the closet races because they always use the 
shadow of, oh, I have a black friend or, oh, my, you know, my, my boyfriend's black or my cousin's black or, you know, something along those lines. Yeah, bro. And, and unfortunately, when you are a young kid, you, you grow up and you are, you're sort of conditioned to think that this is, not only is it okay, but then the things that you don't, you don't, like feel, you don't feel are okay, you, you're sort of, you feel powerless that you can't do anything because what happens is you feel that way, right? And then you grow up, you have kids, and then so what do you tell your kids? And then they grow up, they feel that way, and then they have kids. And then so the, the pattern just goes on and on and on until you have five generations of people who never stood up for themselves. Or if they did, it didn't really turn out the way that they thought that it should. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't constructed. And so there, there's a personal journey you have to make, um, at spe- specifically at this age that we're at, where you have to, I was telling someone, literally, this is crazy, I was literally telling someone today, because I'm going to go into the field of psychology and therapy, um, what, what I told her was like, there are things that you were taught when you were younger from your parents or from society or from friends, whatever it is, that are maladaptive, right? Maladaptive meaning bad, like really, really bad, destructive thoughts. Self-esteem issues uh, stem from this, all that type of stuff, right? You can literally unlearn that stuff if you want to. If you want to go through that process, you can unlearn the type of hateful stuff that people taught you about yourself, about your race, about your family. You can unlearn that stuff and teach yourself to love yourself and, and all the other things. And so, well, the first thing is you have, to, you have to recognize that. And many people get through life, you know, 40-something years old, they have kids, they have grandkids, or they're 50, whatever it is, and they, they literally never reach that stage. And the cycle just goes on and on. And so we feel like we are powerless. Like we just, just deal with it until we can get out of that situation. Um, but that is unfortunate. So we have to make a conscious decision right now, um, and even younger, you know, to break that cycle. So um, I think, who is next? I think it was me. Yes. Okay. So I guess my, like everyone said, I was, didn't know anything about this as a kid. Um, like I said, my mom's Jamaican, my dad's from Texas. So I was very sheltered. I was born in Texas and then was flown to Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates and places like that. So I lived most of my life there. Um, my main things that I saw or that I got to reflect on later as, oh, hey, that was racist, was I know that whenever my sister and I was taken like to the mall or something with my dad and people would like stare or be like, are those two little girls in trouble? Because that dad's white and they don't match. So stuff like that, um, definitely I'm like reflecting back, like that's definitely part of racism. And also I lived in Indiana for many years, which mostly white. Um, I went to school Mm -hmm. there for during high school and part of middle school. Um, and I was very active in extracurriculars, volleyball, stuff like that, and just doing good in school. And, but people wouldn't treat me the same. Like they either didn't invite me to the parties or to things or didn't, didn't want to be my friend necessarily. Like I was kind of on the outskirts type of person, um, which I'm not saying they're necessarily racist. I think it's kind of what Travis was saying, like closet racist, but I think, being treated differently because there was other people doing the exact same things as me, but they were white and they were still included, I guess. 
um, but being treated differently based on when it comes to skin color is still racism. So I guess that's my main thing. I know my parents, um, when we were deputizing, um, which is just like traveling around America, um, raising funds to go back overseas, um, they couldn't go to some South states. They couldn't advertise that they were going to be coming because it was a black woman and a white man. Um, stuff like that, that I didn't find out till later. I know I just found out last week that overseas our house was egged because of my parents. And I just found this out last week when my dad said something about it. Um, so in that way, I think they tried to shelter me a lot from most of anything that As did parents happen. Do. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's just kind of asking them more questions now and doing my own research and understanding that that is something that I need to be aware of and I need to take responsibility for. Definitely. Definitely. That's a great point. Um, yeah. Um, uh, Janan, did you, did you have something? Yeah, I did. So, um, I've, I've experienced like more ex, um, what's the word more obvious, um, experiences in racial inequality. Like, you know, you go to a restaurant and, uh, your service is very bad with the people that you're with and all the people you're with happen to be black in a predominantly white area. And just those little things that we I'm sure have all experienced in our lifetime this, this far. But I think the experience that I'm not even going to like broke my heart the most because all of these things, like we talk about them because we, you know, it, it's important for us to have this space to speak to other black people about our experiences. But really, like, all of these are really, they're really sad and they really do break your heart a little bit yeah. because you want to love people and you want to live life in joy and you with being able to trust people. And these little situations and instances really just chip away. Did you freeze up there, Jenna? Way ...at that ability to go. do that freely. So. I broke my heart the most was I call it like a institutional racism scam that unfortunately a lot of young black kids fall for and I definitely was one of them so um a lot of a lot since a lot of us are older we remember the first we kind of know this as the second sort of wave in our experience as young adults of um protesting and people calling for change and people being really galvanized because this happened again in 2015 and in 2014 with the shootings of Tamir Rice and all of what was happening there when the Black Lives Matter movement was really starting to be born. And that was my junior and senior year of high school. So um, like you, Carl, I was very much, I very I grew up in a community that was very diverse, not only racially, but socioeconomically. So there's a lot of different kids and different families from different backgrounds. And my mom made it a point to teach me about being Mexican and teaching me about being Black. So I, any, any perspective I had on race was really positive. I was really happy to be both because my parents went through great lengths to make sure that I was seeing the beauty in my cultures rather than allowing it to give me you know stress or allowing it to affect my decision making or not be very confident so it wasn't until I was older in high school and 
and you know the internet is what it is and people share videos the way they do and you you end up seeing terrible videos that so Eighteen year old probably shouldn't see, but we're very much um fired me up to more energy into this fight than I ever was. And so it, mm. it moved me to attend want to attend a college. It completely changed what I thought I was gonna do after high school. It completely changed the path in which I thought I wanted to be on. Now I wanted to be in a space that encouraged me in activism and encouraged me in social justice and encouraged me to be uh, to have a larger perspective than whatever my small town in San Diego could give me. So I chose to go to a, um, I'm not, I'm really not going to name up any of this because I'm not trying to ruffle feathers, but I went to a liberal arts school in Northern California. That internet right there. Yeah, so the Bay Area, and I was, and I grew up in San Diego. With, okay, sorry about that. Um, so I, um, I definitely under, I felt black because I didn't look like any of my family. But I, I didn't grow up in the vein of black culture, and and knowing and all of the vernacular and speaking that freely on a day to day basis. I had a little bit of it because of social media, but it wasn't. I didn't grow up with black aunties and black uncles and going to cookouts. Same thing, just put all those words in Spanish and make it Mexican people. And yes, I did experience yeah. that. Yeah. Black version of that. And so I was so excited to go to the Bay Area, to go to Oakland, to go to where the Black Panther Party was, did all of the work that we know and love them for, and all of the history of blackness and of, and of the movements and of civil rights in a time where you know, presidential elections are happening. I'm 18, so I can vote for the first time. It was so many emotions and so many things that a lot of young Black kids experienced at that time. And Bear with us, y'all. Oh, this was longer than normal. On top of all of that, there I was go. just excited to um, make that even to be in a math class. Okay, my bad, y'all. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I was going to be in a math class with a teacher who cared about you know, culture and who cared about um, having well-rounded students. So I was very excited about that. But um, when I got there, and you know, you do the, if you're able, you go visit the school and you check out the dorms and you go see all of that. And my mom and I went on that trip and some people go on tours, but we really only have the funds to pick one and try and check it out and that's what we did and we liked it and when I tell you they had so many young people of color um, leading the tours talking about the school explaining the activism and the social justice so it really painted a picture of you know safety because really that's what yeah. it was too I, I was hearing kids around the country black kids getting killed and and lynched trying to walk back to their dorms at night after studying in libraries and just trying to live their lives so on top of all of that i really just wanted to be safe i really just wanted to be in an environment where i didn't have to look over my shoulder and wonder what my peers are are trying to do to me and so um when i actually moved into this place and moved into the school 
it, it was a very different picture. And I was not the only person of color who experienced a little bit of, um, a little bit of lying on the school's part. So it turned out the school was 70 to 80% Caucasian. And there wasn't any like established um, areas where kids of color um, who needed help navigating like a lot of first generation students. Janine, real students. quick, real quick before you keep going. This is how they get you. <laughs> when I when I play, when I picked the school that I was going to, right? My UCR. Boy oh boy, they had all the black kids out there. They had all the Hispanic kids out there, you know, uh giving the tours like you say, walking around. I'm telling you they they either had to pay these kids or they they set it up to where all the minorities were out there and they t- handed me flyers saying this is the most diverse you see you uh you see in the U, uh, UC system even more diverse than UCLA, but just going on and on. And then when I got there, not quite. I mean, it was diverse. Right, no. You know what I mean? It was diverse, but it wasn't all that I expected. You know what I'm right, saying? Right. But go ahead. Sounds like right. and so, that happened to you too? Did that happen to you too? No, I said it sounds like a catfish to me. Like oh, they no, try to bring catfish. you in and then... Like, do you know how how much work it takes to make an entire educational entity a catfish? That is a feat to do. <laughs> okay, wow. that's a feat. So um, so yeah, I get there, and you know, at first, it, I didn't really want to think about that because you you all know what it is to be seventeen and eighteen and leaving the house for the first time. You're just you're just a ball of excitement and curiosity, and so there really isn't a lot that's them red flags was there but a girl had her blinders on and we was gonna live this experience anyway and so I did everything in my power I I I like to be involved in, in things and so I did what I do and I joined the newspaper and I did, got into photography and I um played volleyball for the school so I was involved in that and I was doing all this stuff and um it came time to get jobs and get work study positions because part of my scholarship had to do with the work study situation. And it's very, it's supposed to be very simple. You make your resume, there's a job fair, you, it's a very small school. So there's literally a job for every student there if they want one. A lot of students don't take one cause they don't need one, but it shouldn't be a problem. So I, um, me and the girl who would end up being my best friend, we lived near each other in the dorms. Her and I ended up having almost the exact same resume. We were involved in the same things in high school. We had the same interests. We were not applying to the same places, but on paper, we looked almost identical. Now, she is a white girl from Maryland, and her name is Sierra Lester. I will name drop her. I know she won't mind. Love you, girl. Um, And my resume said Janan Salam. And so we dropped, we sprinkled our resumes all throughout campus, and my girl got 10 callbacks for some amazing positions. The one she ended up taking was one where she was just an office assistant in the School of Education. And it would, she would do stuff like, I mean, it was a very simple job. Half the time she wouldn't have to come in and she would get paid every single time. And it did her scholarship and it was awesome. And that's awesome. I did not get one callback. And before, you know, it wasn't pride. I'm, I'm trust y'all, I, I did my due diligence. I went back to the to certain places that I applied to, just said, hey, y'all, like, just letting you know I'm here. Um, Making sure you got that resume, just call me back. You know, I'm willing, able to learn. If 
fast learner. No callbacks. Um, the semester continued. I still had money uh, technically loaned to me that I needed to start repaying. And so I took myself to the uh, resource center. And now these people are supposed to be like counselors. So they know your schedule. They kind of have a rundown of what your schedule is looking like. So when they give you a position, it doesn't conflict. And my schedule was pretty simple because I was an athlete at the school, which means I have to be at practice at a certain time and, and eat and be in class at a certain time. And there's only one mess hall. So there's only one time to do all these things. And um, I had noticed that the black population at the school is very small for a school of social justice and civil rights. It was maybe 15 to 20 black girls that I saw uh, regularly and eight of what? those girls. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was wild. It was wild. It was social justice, but like everybody there was not a person of color. And so eight of those black girls, the jobs that they had at the school were um, serving in the mess hall or janitorial duties. And my girls, and one of these girls was in my computer science class, which I, I'm be real, I flunked out of that class, y'all, because computer science is not my, not, my, not my groove. And my girl was the genius. Like, she was incredibly intelligent. And she was, like, on a transfer program from a school in New York. And they had her serving food in the mess hall and doing all of that. And so that's I wish I, I might. Like, that's crazy, bro. And so that's when I just kind of started, like, you know, just thinking about some things and wondering, because then, because really a lot of, I feel like a lot of Black kids and Black young adults don't identify the damage that these situations cause. And, they, and then they, they manifest these things in their adulthood in really um, unhealthy ways, and they don't know where it's from. Like, that messes with your confidence. Like, when you are hyper-involved, as I was in high school, and operated at a certain standard, not in hubris or in pride, but just taking pride in your work and having a good work ethic, as my family taught me to do. And you get to a place of higher education and you're getting your, the door shut in your face at every turn. It, it affected my studies. It affected my confidence as a student. It affected my confidence as a person who could enter the workforce and make a life for herself and all of that. And so, um, she ended up telling me at the end of that meeting that the only job she could offer me was serving people in the mess hall. And I explained to her, I didn't even get into the, the racial epithets that I would have loved to at this social justice college. But I just said in a very logistical way, I can't do that. As you see on my schedule, I am an athlete and I need to eat at, the time, at these times, which are the times in which you want me to work. Therefore, I cannot do that. And she straight, she essentially told me that there was nothing she could do. So long story short, I obviously did not finish college at that spot. I definitely do still owe them money from that bill that they did not hire me to pay back. And uh, I ain't gonna name drop them because I don't know, your girl might lawyer up on this one, but that was probably the most notable racial, little uh, institutionalized racial situation that kind of broke my heart the most because, you know, how many kids think that the place they're going after school, after high school, after they put in that much work is going to protect them and be a place for them to thrive and learn and not have to think about any of that. Right. And yeah. it's just not the case. Wow. 
if I could just jump on that real quick. Go ahead. Uh, goodness gracious. Uh, I want to say it's, it's almost funny, but it's not. Um, so one thing, Harvard and Stanford are both, uh, both tout their diversity, and neither, sadly, are, um, are quite diverse. In fact, both are pre- predominantly Caucasian, um, and then Asian after that. And then uh, a few other groups of then blacks and Hispanics. Uh, and it's just a, I hate to like throw them out there, but it's true. Uh, Stanford, considering how many Hispanics and Mexicans are in the correct area, it's a shame how little Hispanics there are in their programs. Um, but I think it was December 2015. I actually had a, I met with. Um, Daniel, ain't you trying to apply to Stanford, brother? I love oh, cut Man, that out of the podcast. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, no, let's let's go. no, no, it's it is go what ahead, it bro. is. And you know, it's uh it's not I and I'm a I'm a strong advocate, you should never shame someone. Um so if it's how you say something that offends a different person, that's probably your problem. But if it's what you say, you know, if there's some truth to what you say and that's what offends someone, then that's that's their problem. So um, it sadly Major it is what it is. But uh, I spoke with Chancellor uh, Mark Wright, and he's no longer Chancellor at WashU, but he was at the time, um, about the, the lack of representation and lack of minorities on campus. Um, and then he said, you know, he gave lip service. He says, well, we're trying to do this and that. And, you know, um, I wasn't quite impressed. And so I asked him about the admissions process. And what he told me was, well, here's what we do. We put all of the applications in two piles. Those who likely can afford this education and those who probably can't. And then he's like, we go through all of those who likely can afford it, fill the spots, and then we we finger through uh, those who probably couldn't afford it, pick out a few spectacular ones, and then trade. And the reason that he, he justified or he explained this was, we don't want to give we don't, want, we don't want to put someone in a position where they're unable to pay or, or they're encumbered by this financial burden of this institution. So what you have vicariously is a, a staunch lack of minority representation because, uh, go figure, maybe not a lot of minorities can, can afford between 50 and $60,000 you know, a year. Uh, so although it's not overt, that's the, that's the systemic part that I think uh, can be dealt with. And so I'm glad we're having this conversation. Yeah. Uh, did anyone have any comments before we move on to the meeting? This? Man, it took us 30, 35 minutes to, to 40 minutes to introduce ourselves, but it's cool. Uh, Brianna, do you have something to say? Oh, no, I just put it in the chat. Like, they, they don't give us a chance. Like you were saying, Daniel, like, they won't even try because they just assume we've already lost. And And to me, it's like, I don't know if I got the grades right, you know what I'm saying? And if I am confident enough to apply to Harvard, there's a good chance financially, I'm going to make it work. Even if it don't look like on paper, I can afford it. I'm going to make it work. Like I applied to Harvard for a reason, you know what I'm saying? So I feel like when they talk, they're always talking about equal opportunity admissions. That's not real. That's not, they don't, they don't, just like you said, with the process that they do, that's more of a chance type thing. You know what I'm saying? And so, but it, it, it's a, what do, what do you call that? Where it's, it, it's chance, but it's not really chance because it's set up in a certain way, you know? Mm-hmm. 
And so that's like saying pick a card and then all, all the cards set for one are, are, are something different. You know what I'm saying? And what are the chances that you pick the card that's different? That's that one bit of chance, but the rest of the cards are the, are the same. That's what I mean by that. So, um, that's crazy, man. Like, man, I, don't know, I got something to say real quick. That's ahead, like, man. it's, I don't know, just listening to like what she was saying about how she had work study and hard find a job. Like, it's crazy because me, I wasn't, I'm not used to no disrespect. I, I, I love Caucasian people or white people, you know what I'm saying? But I'm not used to being around. Well, at first, but in my early 20s, you know, when I was 21. 20 years old. I wasn't used to being around Caucasian people. So when I graduated high school, my high school being black, I'm like, man, I'm going to go straight to a stroke of black college. And that was kind of like instilled in me throughout high school was like, you know, my co- my coaches went to historical black colleges. So they like, they, they would instill us to go to historical black colleges. So like that, my experience is like totally different from all of you guys. And it wasn't to, it wasn't to say that I'm sheltered in a way, but it was like, it's like, it was, it was totally it was a different. different. Path. It was a different path. Yeah, it was like, it was like black culture is saturated in historical black. I was, I was a part of the band for years. So it's like, all I ever knew was like, I was in a way, before I got saved, man, I was like extreme pro-black. Like, not to say I hated other people, but it's just like, I'm for the advancement of black people and that's it. I don't care who you is, like black power, you know what I'm saying? All of that stuff. But you know, it wasn't until I got saved and I had to realize that everybody is worthy of salvation and a lot of things in life and uh we all are equal. But it's just that the whole situation, just listening to it, it's just unbelievable, bro. That's crazy. Well now that you Travis, did you have something to say, bro? Were you reaching for the Okay. Um now that you mentioned that, that is the next part of our question. And uh, I'm going to skip some of the stuff on, on our agenda because I really want to get to some of this important stuff. Um, but the next question or the next uh, level of this is like, okay, so everyone here goes to church. Uh, some of us have been going to church our entire lives. Some of us for 10 years, some of us for five, whatever, however it is, right? Or y'all, that's the co- thing that connects us all besides us all being black. Uh, the church does, right? And so to me, there is this duality or what they, they try to make it seem like there's a duality between being black and being Christian. To me, there is no difference because white people don't have to say I'm white and I'm a Christian. Hispanics don't have to say, well, maybe they do. I, I, I won't say they don't, but minorities have to say that. And then non-minorities don't have to, don't have to try and separate the two or figure out how they work together. Because in reality, it, there should be no difference. And that's how I've always seen it. I, I, I don't say I, I've always, I always saw it like that, but I tried to force myself to say it like that, even though the world showed me differently, right? Um, like I said, grew up in a, in a really conservative, uh, you know, I'm not putting nobody down, but my home church, you know what I'm saying? I spoke about it earlier. Things were said, hurtful things were, that, were, that, that were said should never be said to a young black kid. Um, but my point is, like, that was a church experience, and that's what I want to get to. So my question for y'all, and this is going to be more of a free-for-all, go ahead and talk. As long as we're respectful to each other, everybody just jump in on this one. Um, what, what's the church's role when it comes to racism and not just racism? But what's the church's role when it comes to healing, you know what I'm saying, that, 
that that stuff and what's the church's role when it comes to finding solutions um my my dad always told me and he told anyone who would listen um the church should be at the forefront of this um we should not be hiding you know what i'm saying if we're the light of the world and we're supposed to be leading this charge and we know the end days are coming right we're supposed to be leading this charge why are we why are we why why is our voices being heard over black lives matter why are our voices being heard are not not being heard over Black Lives Matter or Antifa or all these other groups? We should be the loudest group, you know what I'm saying? With with righteous indignation that racism is wrong and you know we should be we preach love, but then when it comes to certain types of love, we're a little a little more quiet. So you can already tell how I feel about this, but y'all go ahead and jump in and, and tell me your thoughts. Well, I was going to say something historical-wise from, I know that um, David Bernard, the superintendent for UPCI, mentioned that that the UPCI used to be at the forefront of everything, and then Azusa happened, and you, there's pictures posted everywhere of people of all different colors, like, praying in the streets, and people were outraged by that, and instead of committing to, after, like, a couple splits, instead of committing to this is what we stand for. They decided yeah. to split, which I think affected a lot of things because that's why you go to the South and they can still act the way they want to act, but you go to a different church in like California, they're going to act the way they act. Like that's the difference in, like you said, regionality is that just because of that split, that's kind of what's ha- happened all across the country and the world is that people still don't believe in interracial marriage, which I'm in one right now. And I'm just like, well, I can't go to some places. Cool. We'll just be okay with that, I guess. But right. we be okay with that. Um, and just like, like I said, my parents, they couldn't even go to the South because they were a interracial couple. And I think that's kind of where, not where it started. Well, for the started for the church, but um, for now, like for change now, I think that, they just need to acknowledge it more. That's the thing. I think they just put their blinders on. They're so focused on one thing yep. that they don't, they choose not to see, even though it's right in front of them. So if, that's you, Exactly. I always say, if you don't want to know, you won't know. Yeah. It's that simple. I equate, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I equate it to like a child playing with a toy. And they're playing with their toy and then they set it down and then someone else goes to pick up that toy and then they suddenly remember about that toy. That's kind of what happens, I feel like, in the church sometimes. You forget about it until someone else is messing with it. Right, exactly. Um, Tia, go ahead. Okay. I think also the church needs to treat it just like we treat any other sin. We're not supposed to kill anybody. We're not supposed to lie. If I lie on you, you know, I'm... I'm held accountable for that, you know? So why are we not holding people accountable for racism? I mean, that's literally going against everything the word of God says, you know, treat your neighbor as you would treat yourself. If I wouldn't treat somebody with unkindness because of their color, like I, I, it just doesn't make sense that we, that that is something that we want to turn a blind eye to, you know? And it's like we pick and choose what we're going to listen to, how we're going to respond, how we're going to act. And I feel like within the church, we need our leadership ensuring that we are holding people accountable, period. You know what I mean? Like churches won't change if their leadership isn't causing them to change. 
People yeah. can dip. You know what I'm saying? People can leave church. People can do whatever they need to do if they don't get with the program. But if it doesn't start from the head, it's never going to, it, it, it's not going to do anything. I mean, so many people, I don't know if you guys know of my church, New Destiny Worship Center now, but we made a, well, our leadership made a video saying that we were leaving UPCI and it went crazy. Like people tore it up. They tore not just my leadership up, they tore me up, you know, saying people that I knew that I grew up with saying we were backslidden, we weren't, you know, exercising the will of God or the love of God and this and the fourth just because of our own personal experiences that we were just like, you know, UPCI is just not for us. And I think if the leadership would have responded to it differently, everybody else would have responded to it differently. It wasn't that it was supposed to be an attack on the organization, but because everybody was blind and they could not see, it felt like an attack. And I think that that's- make Make that quick point about how y'all tried everything you could before it got to that. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, we definitely have had different conversations with people in the leadership, the superintendent, different churches. I mean, St. Louis, is the churches are different here. Like when Carleon and them was living in Iowa, their church was different there. And your church was, your church is even different in Cali. You know what I'm saying? Like racism is weird everywhere you go, but it, it just felt different. Um, here in St. Louis. And so we, I think it's mainly a issue within St. Louis that people just did not like the fact that we left. And even though we would have those tough conversations, it almost came off like, well, you guys are attacking me and my character, or we didn't know, or, okay, ignorance is bliss until you learn. You know what I mean? And if you're not willing to actually learn, how how can we grow? You know, nobody wants stagnant and so instead of taking what i said hurts me as me trying to offend you i think we need to be more um we need to listen more to understand someone and stop listening just to be able to respond to somebody mm, yeah period who uh danny you had something or or can't uh, sure sure uh, i'm just di- digesting that some good stuff to you uh Travis? i'll say something oh, go ahead. Um, I would say, man, just coming, because I was in the world for a majority of my life. I got saved around when I was 21 years old. So coming into the church um, and experiencing uh, not, I would say, racism that's in your face, like dead smack in your face, but it was much more of like, like I said, the closet racist where you hear people talking about you. They treat you a certain way. And you already peep game and just be like, yeah, man, is it, it? It's most definitely because of the color of my skin, and it hurt me because once I came into the church, um, and uh, some of you guys don't know, I attend a Tears Church, New Destiny, and when we would go to certain places or certain, um, like say, as we went to Kansas City, we were worshiping, and we literally could feel the whole church staring at us because we jumping up and down and we having a good time but it came to a point where we had to literally just stop and look around and just be like dang these people are literally staring at us and not smiling with speak don't speak back you know what i'm saying and i think the and when we left the upci 
one thing that I noticed that some people were saying to us is that um, we don't want you to walk away from the will of God. You know what I'm saying? This and that, this and that. And a lot of people automatically can uh, put the, they, they look at it, they look at black people as charity cases. And when we leave or if we are not a part of the organization or we're not a part of the UPCI, you automatically, you, you, you going to hell. Are it's you called, it's called a white paternalism. If you're yeah, listening, if you're listening, look up that term. Yeah, and it's it. I I, I had to literally digest it and think about it. Like, why are people saying we walking away from the will of God? You know what I'm saying? And when we are part of the organization, y'all looking at us as charity cases. You know what I'm saying? Want to do extra prayers and uh, uh 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 just just saying ridiculous things and working at Chick Fil A. I had the opportunity to work with a lot of uh, uh people that went to Urshan College. And the things that they would say to us, and I'm like, dude, like, I thought we was better than this. You know what I'm saying? And you tell me this doesn't exist. Racism doesn't exist. We lying. We want to start drama, this and that. And I'm just like, this stuff is kind of like the world. You know what I'm saying? Y'all want to be, and I'm not saying this organization in particular, but the church want to be so separate from the world, but yet we do the things of the world. You know what I'm saying? Mm, yeah. And the reason, why, the reason why our voices... Uh, the reason why the, the world can't hear our voices is because we already blended in with them. It's kind of like when, Ooh, when oh, you got Caucasian oh. people. We are going over. It's kind of like when you got Caucasian people who don't want to admit that racism exists, yet they want to do our dances, talk like us, be, you know what I'm saying, hood. But if you don't, you don't wanna, get off of here you preaching, the, you don't want the consequences. <laughs> you don't want the consequences. We're going to have to take them off. Bam. Our cash up is T W E. Not for you, Not for you. Go ahead, Just like, and that's the thing with the world. That's the thing with the church. We want to be like the world, but when it comes down to racial injustice, we don't want to speak up about it. We don't want to say nothing. You know what I'm saying? And that's why, you know, people could clueless on what to do. People just, oh, what should we do? I don't know what to say. Like Corleone said earlier, you know what to say, but you don't want to, you want to learn. And a lot of people that I saw, I'm going to make this real short, a lot of people that I saw on social media posting and stuff, when my church left, a lot of those folks were saying crazy stuff, calling people, calling us monkeys, saying all these, the black people don't have status within the church, but yet you want to post on social media and be so, I'm with you guys, but behind closed doors, you don't want to, you want to fight. We literally came to you with a, a blueprint on what's going on behind closed doors and how we can fix it. But yet, you want to go live and go mainstream and go on these platforms and Zoom calls and, and go live and say, "This what, what can we do? I mean, you know what we can do, bro. No, that's facts. That's got, got, a little, got, a little, got a little spicy there. He, okay. <laughs> like, he, he really went it. No, but I totally, I totally, I totally agree. I mean, it's crazy because but here's it. I will say, I thank God for everything that is happening right now, because not only does the church have the opportunity to do better, but the world itself is trying to do better. You know what I mean? And um, I've had a lot of people that did talk down on us and stuff like that when we first left that have come back since then and said, you know what, I'm so sorry. I didn't see it then. I see it now. And I respect that. You know what I'm saying? Because you don't have to come back and, you know, apologize or you don't have to say sorry for how you treated me before or anything like that. But the fact that you would 
I do just want to shout that out. Not everybody. Nah, just normalize being wrong. Exactly, exactly. Just yes, period. Yes. Go go ahead, Travis. Um, So two things on the normalize being wrong again. I personally think that if you're closet racist, just at this point, you might as well just go ahead and just air yourself out and understand your issue, know yourself, and either seek self-improvement or just move out the way because the world is changing as we get older, as, you know, generations pass, you know, a little slowly but surely, the racism, the racist people in the world are becoming the minority, yes. I 100% am aware of that, but it's still those same ones who don't agree with the racism that stay silent, which they hate when we say, oh, your silence is consent, and they, they don't understand that the, like, especially like with the church, for example, the same way that you can sit in the church or stand in front of a pew and, you know, you can say, oh, homosexuality, homosexuality is wrong, or adultery is wrong, or lying is wrong, stealing is wrong, gambling is wrong, you should be able to get in front of your congregation that same day and turn around and point out how bad racism is. That's what that's what the church really needs to do. And I applaud my new church. You know, Anchor is my new home. I have, you know, Brother Julio on me to name drop. I'm sure he won't mind if I name drop him on this. But within two or three days of everything, you know, popping off, Black Lives Matter movement starting to pop off, uh, within a few days, he already had the scripture posted up and Everybody, almost, almost everybody in the hyphen and riot group literally was reposting it. Like, I kept seeing the same picture of this scripture about, you know, God being against racism. If God's against racism and you're not in, you know, you're not standing in front of your congregation or you're not standing in front of the people that you're ahead of, like, as far as, like, you're the, that, that group of people's minister, like, you should be, that's the same, same thing that you should be doing. And that's one thing that they're not doing. Not enough churches are out there doing it. And I can say I'm glad for the church that I did, you know, find my way. And when I first started, you know, on my Pentecostal walk, you know, that was one thing that I was, you know, one, it was surprising because by the time I did start going to this church, I started to actually see racism and I actually knew what it was a little bit more because I was in high school. So I actually, you know, understood it. And if you know anything about racism, you know, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, you're going to have two sides on that race war, so to speak. You're going to have people who are, or the people who are racist or the people who are against racist. And the last thing that a lot of people in the South want to do is be labeled or looked at as racist. So the first thing, first time they see it, if they're against it, they're going to speak on it. That's one thing I can't applaud the South. If they're against it, the first, the first sign of it, they, they see it, they're going to speak on it and they're going to shut it down. They're gonna nip it in the bud off rip. And that's what, one of those things where um, regionally you can see where it's different versus like over here, so to speak. Oh, you can be, you know, a closet racist and people can see it, but they're not gonna say anything to you. They're not gonna check you on it. Or people aren't gonna like, the people who know that they're a closet racist or didn't realize they're a closet racist, and then they like, oh snap, I'm a closet racist. And they feel like, I'm not gonna name drop, but they feel like you're targeting you, targeting them by your responses. And you can see when they start seeing like, okay, this person is posting a lot more against racism 
after you just posted a lot more, a lot of things, you know, kind of like removing color. You know, when people, the, when people start to go in that direction, oh, let's take color out of the picture. No, you know, no. when, when people do that, like the first thing you do is, oh, let's take color out of the picture and look at the person and look at what this is and that. Or for example, um, a lot of people right now, whenever, like lately, or in general, when it's a, another killing, another shooting, or another injustice, the first thing they do is, one, they try to, try to take out the color. Two, they turn around and re-add that color by re-imaging by re their past, past and only pointing out the negative things of the victim yep, or the yep. person who was unjustly shot or unjustly killed. But when they turn to the person who did the killing or did the harm, they, oh, we're not even gonna get into that because it's already taken care of. That person is getting, you know, convicted, so, so to speak. But then you turn around and next thing we know, the person isn't locked up. The person is scot-free, you know? And then that person turns around and decides, oh, I'm gonna sue that, that little boy's family who, who just tried to get me locked up for killing his son. Like it's okay. Now I'm gonna drop that name, George Zimmerman, but we're not gonna speak on that one. And it still blows my mind that he out here just living it big. But, um, and then y'all, y'all know he sold his gun for like, I forgot how much he sold it for. He sold it for a lot of money for, for the gun that killed Trayvon mm -hmm. Martin. He sold it for a lot a of money. That's a prize possession. Bro, uh, uh, who, who bid it on that? Let's get your names. Right. Let's get the names of people who bid it on that Let's gun. Get your address. Yeah. I want to have a conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, now remember they have the gun, so be careful. Uh, <laughs> right, we worry about it. Hey, Danny, we got hey, guns I'm too. So I'm gonna say, uh, next thing, next thing. Um, but okay, I wanted to touch on something before we get to the next question, or I'll say something, and if anyone has any other comments, we're gonna start getting to solutions here in a second. Oh wait, okay? real quick, can I say to what? Um, what did you say your name was? You talking about Travis? Yeah, Travis. Oh my God, yes to what you said. Silent is loud as heck let's just be let's just be very clear silence is loud as heck so even if you don't know what to say kind of what you said carly on bruh it, it, no it's ask not me. the time to ask, not ask your black friend use me yes talk to me like yes yes that's all i'll just note though i will note that it's good that we <laughs> this is this is weird it's weird if you think of a parent child um, dynamic. It's weird in cases when the child is growing up and the child has to be the one to be the adult and to establish a dialogue that might, that probably should have been established by the parent. I think it's important that we all be at our position. Um, I'll say that both ways. I'll be at our position. Create space for that dialogue too. Re recognizing that this is uncomfortable new territory. And uh, before we say, you know, your silence, you're, you're a uh, Silence is compliance. It's great to say, let me tell you, uh, or listen to my story, or let me tell you how you could help. Or so, just to give kind of a, a bridge the gap between the you know ignorance and and what it can be. And I I, yeah. I agree honestly. There are some days where it, it it pains me to realize that it's all it's always upon black people to do the better thing, to be the bigger person, to do more. But what I come to realize is that. Um, I know a lot of black people and what I do know a lot, what I do, what I do know, and it's not to make everything universal or, or whatever, but what I do know 
is that we are, what our history has shown us is that we are a strong, resilient people and we can handle a lot. Now that's been taken advantage of for sure that we are strong people, right? And so the Bible talks about, you know, I, I was talking about this forgiveness thing a few, few months ago on my podcast. And an interesting thing that I read from a book that my dad recommended to me, the Bible talks about forgiving someone 70 times seven, right? And what that, what that indicates to me is that forgiveness is not just a, a let's talk it out, I forgive you, move on type of thing. Forgiveness is a process. 70 times, 70 times seven, somebody, what is that right now? Uh, what's 70 times seven? How many times is that? Somebody look it up while I'm talking. Uh, but my point is, when the Bible talks about 70 times seven, that's an individual occurring 490. 490 that's a lot of times forgive someone for one thing right and in a so day. what's that in one day exactly and so you gotta con- that's gotta continually be a process something on your mind where you're con- yeah. where you're trying to for- and it's so easy to get hurt especially when you feel like people who should be protecting you your church family should be protecting you and looking after you and they don't with their silence or they don't with their non-silence with the other comments when they post more about rioting and looting and less about george floyd that infuriates me because yeah. i don't care about no target building i'm telling you that right now i don't care about no target building now obviously i care about the small black businesses i care about the ceo you know don't even care about target what's that the ceo didn't even care about that target he don't right. he no. can build another one just like that period so, he said it yeah so my point so my point is this is that that is that's hurtful and, and negative to, to my to my to my person and to into our relationship and so i'm so i'm supposed to forgive you but you got to also make an effort to be forgiven you know what i'm saying and so trying to start that dialogue is important hey i messed up hey i didn't post or hey i posted something i should have posted and i understand how it made you feel that's important so um yeah. they don't have anything that's Anything to say on that point before we move to? I want to move to solutions, and then we can sort of close this out. Any anything before we move on to solutions? I just want to say one thing. Um, I think too, people need to stop trying to understand it. Not everybody's going to understand it. Some people don't understand things until they go through it. They need to just educate themselves. And what I mean by educate themselves, I don't mean by looking into that person's past. It's the first thing that people want to do and they want to throw out, oh, this person wasn't a good person. And why, why are we judging them based off of their past? Like we need to be looking at the situation, looking at what happened to them. And people, they look at it and they're like, oh, well, that wasn't wrong. But they can't say that they would want to step in that person's shoes. So people like to say, oh, racism isn't a thing. Nobody white is going to raise their hands and say, oh, I'm willing to, um, I'm willing to be treated how black people are treated. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the issue. Just like, just like, <laughs> just like that joke. Uh, I think it was Chris Rock or Chris Tucker. One of them told that joke of, uh, you know, it's kind of inappropriate, but it, the, the, the moral of the story is Oprah Winfrey is extremely rich, right? Bill Gates, a hundred times richer. He told that joke, if Bill Gates woke up as Oprah Winfrey one day, he would jump out a window and slit his throat on the way down because he ain't got the money he used to have. And so, you know, there are those differences. And people, and he even said the, the other part of the joke was, you know, no white person in this room would trade places with me and I'm extremely rich. And they laughed it off. I, I, I gauged the room when he told the joke. They laughed it off. Nobody said, nobody looked around and be like, hmm. Maybe I would. They laughed it off. And that was a joke. But my point is, in those 
both of those instances of those jokes he told, it's like they, they want to do the dances, like you say. They, they want to do everything except for be black and try and understand what it's like to be black. They want to do everything but that. So no, um, They want to wear a skin tone, too. They want to wear a skin tone, too, but the they only do. difference is they don't want to keep it. They, wanna, they don't want to, you know, wear the burdens that come with our skin tone. Exactly. And, and this is no disrespect to anybody who go to a tanning booth and get their tan on. <laughs> I, you know what I'm saying? That's cool. But... You you but if you do if you do the combo of things you do the tan, you listen to Jay Z on the car on the way over, you put on the snapback, you, you know what I'm saying? You do all these things, and for a day or for how long the the tan lasts for a week, got a little you got a little you know what I'm saying? A look and it, and it excites them, you know what I'm saying? To kind of be black, you know what I'm saying? It, it it excites them and it, I think people like are really addicted to that feeling. And this is that this is a deeper conversation for another day, but. Uh, my point is, you know, if just like you said, you know, it's not about understanding. It's about trying to listen. It's about trying to heal. It's about trying to really put these pieces back together because we go to church together. See what I'm saying? We live on this planet together. And for us to, in, in order for us to survive, we got to make some changes as far as how we treat each other. So that's how we can get into solutions. What? I'm going to ask y'all this, and this is a free for all again. What I mean, and we sort of mentioned this is already as well. What can the church do? And in your case, Travis, you can already say what has your church done because I talked to Julio about this. What what can the church do, and what have y'all churches done to sort of bridge the gap to create spaces for healing to try and address this, speak out against it? Um, I'll let y'all go ahead and and speak on those things. What can we do to make this? And it ain't just about making it better; it's about making it right. So. I would say, man, um, just like y'all said earlier, just attacking the issue, the problem, the sin. Like saying it, saying it, it's a saying racism. Saying racism is a saying, Okay, everybody know that, but actually, like confronting it at all the time. Like you will see pastors preaching against um, homosexuality. You see pastors preaching against. Um, you know, just all those little, you know, not, I'm not saying say this paid, but just all the little paid things, you know what I'm saying? But when it's time to dig deep and actually tackle issues that are, that's affecting generations, it, it's no, you know what I'm saying? People don't want to really face it, you know? And I'm not against mission trips or anything like that, but a lot of times I see within a lot of churches is that people raise thousands of dollars per person, like, one person got to raise $3,000 to go somewhere and support a mission trip. But yet, you got some people in the, your, your own backyard that's suffering, man. You know, for me, I grew up in the inner city. I grew up in poverty, my, like, for dang near 10, 15 years of my life. So, in like a third world, world country over there on, uh, in the north side of St. Louis, you already know. Y'all already know what's up. And... I never knew what the apostolic faith, faith, faith was or Pentecostal or, you know what I'm saying, different things like that. I didn't know what that stuff was. I honestly, I didn't. But I look at it now, it's like people could spend hundreds of thousands of dollars going overseas. And I'm not against people doing missionary trips and stuff like that. But you can have these kids who don't understand what the heck the, the, the faith is, and they just want to go over there and say, I'm um, post on Instagram, hey, I'm in Africa with the elephants. 
but they don't want to do, you know what I'm saying? And they don't know the, the real root of why they're going over there. But yet, you got black people in poverty who are actually suffering. And I was one of those people. My friends died in the streets until this day. You know what I'm saying? And all we want to do is just uh, go, in a, go, go to a park and get served hot dogs and water. You know what I'm saying? But we don't want to actually uh, teach these kids on how uh, that, that racism exists outside of, you know what I'm saying, poverty. We don't want to teach these kids that, you know what I'm saying, people will judge them for the color of their skin and things of that nature. Uh, and it's just much more of a charity case rather than pe meeting people at a, like, emotional, uh, deep connection, you know what I'm saying, building relationships. Definitely. It's much more quick, you know what I'm saying? Just like with this incident, what's going on now, I'm, I'm positive that there's going to be everybody, the trend is to post a black picture to post, you know what I'm saying, black businesses, but next year it's going to go back to normal and everybody going to get back to, you know what I'm saying, doing what they do with uh, mission trips and, and, and staying within their circle of people or staying within their organization. And if you outside of the organization, you ain't, you ain't worthy of anything. You know what I'm saying? They'll probably pray for you. You know what I'm saying? Say a quick prayer to make themselves look good. But other than that, there's no deep connection. There is no everything is at a shallow level. It's never really deep. And as far as my church, what we do is uh, I can attest, uh, I haven't been able to get back into the community, but we have been going into the community, you know what I'm saying, passing out flyers, knocking on people's door, you know what I'm saying, um, uh, 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 and actually uh, uh, just doing a lot of things one-on-one, -on -one, giving out food. Um, man, I can't even think of the countless things. We even got a ministry uh, designated towards community work, and it's a constant thing every month, you know what I'm saying? And I would say it's just, um, just actually confront it. Don't let it be a trend that, you know what I'm saying, it's, it's, it's hype right yeah. now. And then eventually it just stayed because for us, yep. they often say, okay, man, the hype over, we don't, don't got to be black. This is something we got to live with. Just kind of like with a police officer. They can go through all the, the, the judgment as being a police officer, but at the end of the day, they can take off their uniform and just get it over with and be like, man, I'm good. But being black, you just can't, it's work every single day. You, you can't stop being black. You know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a full-time job, but just confronting it uh, head on continuously just Yep. And we can't get fatigued with it. You just, just honestly confronted it head on and just, like she said, I don't know his wife's name, but just stop saying it, that it, it uh, trying to understand, just put your stuff in that person's shoes and just realize you know what I'm saying? You won't understand everything, but just yeah. listen. You know what I'm saying? Stop trying to talk and come with yep, a exactly. solution for something that you don't know about. Just listen to the other side of the, 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 the you know what I'm saying, spectrum and let them talk. And a lot of times, us black people, we don't have the answers for you because this is what we do. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. Did y'all, uh, so did y'all, everyone receive my. My chat message. Let's see. Real okay. quick. Everyone received that chat message? Okay, good deal. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Janan, you're next. Okay. Um, 
yeah, well, what Demon said really made me think of something important in terms of missionary work. Um, and, you know, I feel like a lot of, not, not just white people, but white spaces, like this includes like minorities who, I mean, like they're, they're minorities. And in my experience, it's been a lot of Hispanic people um, that are in spaces where, you know, it's better for them to do what the majority white counterparts are doing. So they won't really think as a minority, they'll think as a employee first, and then their job kind of perpetuates these very racial sort of divides, and they'll just continue to do that. And I feel like, like people in those spaces get nervous when black people demand change and or 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 are bringing attention to issues that they really don't want to think about and they immediately get so defensive which ironically proves our point even further but they very much want to like throw i mean and man people probably gonna get mad and i'm sorry i just don't talk that talk it's like that it's like that all lives matter syndrome right like you're so ready to defend what you think is about you. You have stopped listening to me. When I am saying something, very, I'm not using an angry tone. I'm not getting mad at you. What we are asking is for you to identify where racism is and eradicate it. And that shouldn't be something that immediately gets your blood boiling and you yelling at me, something that has nothing to do with what I'm asking of you. And I have seen that in church spaces where you, you know, and, and black people are so magical in the way that we can turn so much of our tragedy into, into jokes, into, into a levity, into a way for us to kind of laugh about it. Cause we laugh about it, we cry about it, but we laugh about it in the end. And, you know, we make a joke and people get uncomfortable. They don't, and I'm like, and it's funny when people get uncomfortable for a joke because you know it's real. That means that you know it's real. That means you absolutely identify the truth where that is. And it, it, it kind of bothers you that I'm so flippant about saying it because it's so real in my life and you don't want to admit that. And so I want to see the church literally just identify where there is not enough diversity. Because as a person who did not grow up in the UPCI, I can tell you with pure like truth, one of the main reasons why I never, um, I knew about the UPCI, I grew up in the Apostolic Assembly, which is very similar, but it's mostly Hispanic. And I have family that were in the UPCI and I knew about UPCI churches, but you could not get me to do anything uh, involved with the UPCI because I did not see black people. And I did not see enough people of color. I didn't see enough Hispanic people. I didn't see enough Asian people. Of course, now that I go to more UPCI churches and I am a part of one, I do see more diversity. But from where I was, I didn't see that. Because when you're an outsider, you don't see, you don't see individual churches and the congregations that make those up. You see posters about missionaries or posters about special speakers. And if you look at these posters and these flyers and, the, and all of that, a lot of those preachers and speakers and missionaries are white and take any, take any directory, take any, I promise you the majority of those faces are going to be white. Look at the board of a lot of governing bodies for large Pentecostal or apostolic churches. A lot of them are not brown in color. And so I want, I'm not saying 
remove everybody. I'm not saying get no. These are men and these are men and women of God. These are families who have dedicated their lives to spreading the gospel in this world, and they are amazing individuals, and we love them and we pray for them. No, no one's saying take their jobs. No one's saying fire them. I'm just saying. UPCI, church groups, any church group, look at your leadership, look at your boards, look at the people that make up the decision makers in your governing bodies, and look at the color of that pool of people, and ask yourself if that is the picture of United Pentecostal International. Keyword, keyword. International. So that's what I want. Because, because, and I'll tell you something, my heart was softened in such a beautiful way at my church because I did have that bitterness. I was like, I don't like how that looks. It looks very, it looks like colonialism. It looks like a bunch of white men going into foreign countries, telling these people to do things that they're not used to doing in which so that they can do X, Y, and Z. And I was very angry about that. And I allowed that to, to cloud my judgment about people and to cloud my judgment about the church. And there, our assistant pastor, who was the missionary to thailand for many many years and honestly if you've ever heard him speak about his time as a missionary it will move you this man loves these people this man loved his work this man loves his god and he said something that completely changed my mind and completely softened me he said honestly in my time as a missionary i did not i maybe did five six seven baptisms because it was very important to me for the people of their own nation to baptize mm. their own. It was important for me to impart what I know and my job as a missionary to empower and, and embolden their own people mm. to go and speak to their own people in a way that only they can speak to one another. Wow. And then, then that's how we get unity. And, I, and that, changed, that changed everything. I couldn't be mad anymore. I couldn't have, I couldn't say that this entire organization is a sham or this entire endeavor is colonialism or imperialism because I'm, I'm, I'm witnessing that. And that's what I want more of. I want us to sit back and look at who we pay to go and speak these huge conferences and who we're allowing to represent us as an organization and ask yourself if that is the best we can do. If that is the most, nobody's saying, take away your job, increase it, more missionaries. But we need to see brown people in that mix. We need to see African-Americans, Asians, Filipino people. We need to see Hispanics. We need to see everybody because that's what the church is. It's everybody. And just because we are doing good does not mean we, cannot do, we, we can't do better. And that's the whole argument with America. Like, oh, America's yeah, you got more liberties than those who live in China or in Russia. I'm like, yeah, but is that, is that our ceiling? Are we done? You know, right. just oh, just because we're better than China or Russia or Bangladesh, are, are we done? You know what I mean? And um, that's what always blows my mind. It's like people are so complacent, especially in a lot of church environments. People are so okay with the status quo, the fact that we're doing good, but could we be better? And so, uh, Bri- Brianna, you're next, right? Yeah, and apologies in advance for what I'm going to say, but kind of in the same. No, no apologies needed. <laughs> Kind of in the same vein as what everyone's been talking about, but I know that Janan was touching on this a little bit, but the church needs to be, needs to start being very careful when they get involved, sorry, <clears throat> when they get involved in politics. Yes. I think that promoting candidates because they're against one sin, but oh, she, oh, she preaching. Oh my goodness. 
but ignoring a student like racism is okay to ignore apparently and they didn't take a stand against that is dangerous oh. kind of like tia was saying your silence speaks loud but what you emphasize also speaks loud so you're emphasizing a specific candidate you're, specific, you're uplifting politics up on the platform like the lead this is from the leaders like also people mm. in the church but from the leaders like you can't be doing that like be yeah. oh my uh, was, was that uh, that's all for you <laughs> you for the most part i mean i could go longer but it's just a lot of i just don't understand like we should not be when we're when we're presented in the public light of um media social media tv anything like that it shouldn't be that oh yeah the church is immediately rep, uh, like republican or wh whatever like they shouldn't see that when they see the church they should see mm -hmm. love they should see yeah. acceptance they should Thank see you, yeah. whatever background you came from you're accepted here like we're not trying to like i don't know i don't like the word convert because it sounds like i'm trying really hard to get you to see my point of view when you should just have an open discussion if that is the truth that they believe they will come to it because of how you explained it or how you showed it it's not really what you say it's what you how you act what you do yeah. because at the end of the day guess what if a white per if a black person walks into a a white church doesn't feel welcome he walks back out and exactly. now that may have been one of the only opportunities he could have gotten to see god and congratulations there's his soul and i pro i promise you as god is my witness when some people get up there and he starts reading people's names off that book a lot of y'all gonna be surprised and he's gonna ask you about specific things you did and he's gonna tell you all the names that are stained he's gonna tell you all the names that are stained their blood on your hands mm -hmm. I, yeah I'm telling you right now, you need to be careful when you do things that will drive people away from your church. I'm not telling, I'm not telling us to be so so inclusive. We anything and everything flies. You you set a you set a line that is morally correct. But I'm telling you, being black is not something that should separate the groups of people that belong in churches or being Asian or being Hispanic. That should not separate us. You know nah, what I'm saying? The church isn't as united as it thinks it is. Right. And we got to work on that. Um, yeah. Danny, I think you're next, right? Oh, wow. Let me start saying, uh, by saying this cannot be, um, like she was saying, a political thing. It just cannot be a Republican or Democrat thing. It cannot. Uh, because both of these institutions and both of these entities are inherently flawed. Uh, this is something recognized by oh. both Martin Luther King and, uh, and Malcolm X. Malcolm X in his address he emphasizes this in his address to UC Berkeley, um, ironically, and it's a great, great um, emphasis. Uh, however, it, it can't be about, literally, we can't get our rhetoric, we can't get our opinion from what a particular party is saying, because both, both of these parties are right and both of these are wrong. It's because they're both, they're both ignoring the voices, ignoring the truth in one another because they can harp on the flaws and the lack of ability to properly express oneself and to tell one story and to reiterate experiences um i'd say one uh, one thing we need to, we need to do as people of color is in places where we see a lack um of this of this inclusion is to uh, we that recognize it have a responsibility to uh to push for it at one point in time there were no there were no people of color in in congress 
Um, but someone pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and it wasn't fair. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't smiled upon by everyone. It wasn't popular, but it was done. And look, look at Congress now, you know, as far as it's a better, a better representation of constituency. Um, so one thing that was pointed already, was pointed out already was diversity. Uh, diversity is vital. It's important. Uh, but it's not the end-all be-all. Plantations were extremely diverse. Uh, so what's more important than diversity is inclusion. And this is just what, um, what everyone was saying before me. Uh, and a great example of that missionary. Uh, we want to include you. We want you to take, to walk not beneath us, but beside us. Um, and then I'll say this, uh, the key word I would, I, would, I would say here is relationship. And I would see, uh, I would use the example of Paul. Paul in three lights, I see him here. Uh, number one is when Paul was first converted, right? He was, he was persecuting the Christians and he had an experience, an encounter with God. While this was going on, a man named Ananias, who knew of, of Paul or then Saul, who knew he was someone that was doing these horrible things, killing Christians and causing persecution, um, the Lord spoke to him. And the Lord says, I am bringing this man to you. Receive him as such. And Ananias was like, are you sure? Like, this guy, is, are, you, are you sure? The same Saul person? And God says, the Lord says, yes. The very, I look it up for yourself. The very first two words Ananias says to Paul when he greets him is, uh, the very first word is brother. This man who had been killing his people, he, he referred to him as brother. So I think one, one thing that, uh, that both, um, both parties, I guess, uh, minorities and non-minorities really need to, we need to see each other as brethren. Uh, and in, in brotherhood, there is, there is inclusion, there's love, there is relationship, there's I'm listening to you, you're listening to me, I'm sorry, that was hurtful, you know, correct me, let me know if that's offensive. Um, so there's brotherhood. Later on, there's recorded an incident where Peter, Peter, the writer of our favorite Acts 2.38, you know, the Holy Spirit, you know, message, um, Peter was sitting uh, with Gentiles and was eating with them. There, there came to visit, though, Jews from Jerusalem. And Jews, Jews and Gentiles were, had a, extreme animosity and, and racism towards each other. Um, when Peter saw these Jews from Jerusalem come in, he removed himself from the Gentiles. He acted like he didn't fraternize with them. He acted like he didn't know them. Paul sees this. And Paul, I think, still having in his heart how quickly Ananias had accepted him after his pass, confronted Peter and said, this is racist. This is wrong. This is, this is marginalizing. This is hurtful. The gospel is for them. You know? And this is something that the Lord had revealed to Peter in the first place. So this is going to be a learning process. But I just want to emphasize like Paul's change. And the third, the third I think, and most um, staunch representation of how important relationship is, is when Paul addresses this man named uh, Philemon about a slave that had run away. And Paul had such a great relationship with this man who was still, you know, I know it was more acceptable in one time, but he, he had ownership. He had rights over 
this, this slave called Onesimus. And this is what Paul said to Philemon. This is, he said, uh, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what is right, uh, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Uh, so he used his relationship, he had a great relationship with Onesimus and was able to appeal to him on that, he, he was able to claim that relationship, to appeal on the level of relationship. So I would just say the most important thing um, for both, uh, you know, black and brown people of color and for um, our Caucasian counterparts is to focus on building relationship. And the number one key thing in forming relationship is listening. I agree with you, Danny. I agree with you, bro. Um, And I'll say right now, we're going to have, I mean, I haven't told everybody else, but we are going to have a part two about this where we talk about the other side of this, because I feel like, although it is a mostly one-sided issue, in my opinion, mostly one-sided, uh, there is some responsibility that we as uh, minorities have to take. But I hate that uh, what furious me is like, that's the first thing that people want to talk about. Yeah. Is, is yeah. What can yeah. I do? What, what, black on black crime, but all these other things they want to talk about. But let's talk about you know, how this works together. You, you yeah. talk about your side, you work on your side, we'll work on our side. And, and so we're going to talk about that in a part two, along with some other things having to do with colorism and, uh, you know, even some of the, some of the inner workings of minorities, uh, you know, with each other. Um, and so I think I feel like that'll be important for a part two, but let's go ahead, go, going on with solutions. Um, who was after Danny? I think Tia was. I think I was. Um, yeah, pretty much what everybody's been saying has been solid. Um, I definitely think inclusion is part of the solution. Like, I, I know that not everybody is going to understand the struggle, you know? But including people in to just hear about it, you know, is, is, is going to help because I can't understand you if I if you don't tell me certain things, you know what I mean, and vice versa. Um, so I think that that's definitely important. I think um, there was a panel that UPCI did, and one of the ladies said something that was so vital. Um, and she said we need to create safe places within our church, you know. And I think that that's very important. Um, with that safe space if there is any racism that's happening within the church, I need to feel like I can go to my pastor, I can go to my bishop, I can go to my leadership, my youth pastor, whoever. Mm. I can go to that person and I can say, hey, this is what happened, I didn't like that. And not be talked about or talked down to her. You know, I think when we tell of our stories or we tell of how something made us feel, not always are we so quick to not believe that they're trying to hurt us. You know what I mean? Um, so like if I, if I did something to Carleon, I don't want the first thought to be, well, you know, I, you were just trying to hurt me. I wasn't trying to hurt you. You know what I mean? It was unintentional. And so I think we need to get our minds refocused in on not everybody is out to get us. Um, and I do think that Going back to the whole silence thing and what Daniel said, I love your point, um, but I'm going to have to disagree. I'm not going to say um, that just because you were silent, 
means that I'm going to come to you with my point or I'm going to come to you with my story. I think like Carleon said, black people, we had to come to terms with being the one that takes the high road or that, you know, says, you know what, well, let me just, you know, whatever, because I'm, I'm stronger and I get it. No, you know, it's, it's, it's time out for that, honestly. And the more and more we enable people, the more and more ignorant that they become. And I think that that's something that's just not okay. And just like a white person isn't going to come tell me necessarily, well, you did X, Y, and Z, so this is why I want you to speak out on something. That, that, is, that narrative doesn't even make sense to me. So I'm not personally going to do that ever. You know, if I'm looking at my social media followers and I'm like, hey, y'all want to post in da 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 da, I'm holding them accountable because at this point, it's 2020, you've seen it. You've heard it. Somebody said it. We have to start addressing and holding people accountable in, in, in love, honestly, in love. But we, we can't grow. We can't move if we continue in this whole, you know, you heard me. I'm not going to say nothing just yet. I, I can't. So, yeah, that's my five cents. Right. Yeah. No, and if someone is hurtful to us, we should definitely communicate that. Definitely. Uh, that's that's so vital. So yeah, with you there. They are they are quick to tell. I don't want to tell my business, but they're quick to tell you. Actually, you know what? I will. Um, my church and I, we did, we did a a prayer walk march protest, uh, type of thing, and we went around the city. Things were great. We prayed for people. We talked to the community. We made our presence felt. You know what I mean? And we had signs. And so it, was, uh, it wasn't a protest uh, per se, but it was a, we're here and we want the community to know that we're here and we stand up against these things. And mind you, I'm like, this was amazing. This is, a, this is exactly the type of response that I'm looking for from my people, my church, right? And then Karina and a young, uh, a young, a young lady who is Karina's friend and I, at the end of the, at the end of the, the prayer march, the three of us took a, a picture with us holding up the, the black fist sign and we had our, our signs and apparently someone was offended by that. They are quick to tell you what offends them and quick to, uh, quick to uh, make sure you respond and correct that and fix that. But, but not as quick to, to talk about the things that offend uh, that, that they offended against me. Cause my response to that was I'm offended that you're offended. If I'm just keeping it real, because right. It, right. the the reality is black power doesn't mean anti-white. It means <laughs> that there, For real. Yes. It, it means that there's a disparity be, between black and white people. And in order to, cause the, the, the one that is supposedly higher will never lower themselves. Right. So in order to, to bridge that gap, the ones who are supposedly down below need to raise them. And if I can use colloquial terms, we need to gas ourselves up and and level mm -hmm. that playing field, right? So it, right. it doesn't go like this. You know what I'm saying? Now we're both at the bottom. It doesn't go like this. Now we're both at the top. It goes more like this. You see what I'm saying? And that's what black power means to me is, you know, for so long we, we have been put in a position to where we're made to feel inferior and it's time out for that. In, yep. End of story. And if you're offended by me trying to, uh, me trying to make sure that I, I, I'm good mentally and spiritually and things of that nature, because that can affect you. 
a, a topic for another for another day that can that can affect your, your spiritual walk as well but my point is if you're offended by that then i'm offended that you're offended and so now we both offended what now we both offended so and and uh, again we'll go on that later the, the bible does speak about fences and how we should handle mm-hmm. those um but um travis i think you are, you're next bro um, so it's kind of, I'm trying to figure out exactly how to say this, but one of those things with, you know, diversifying and inclusion is I'm going to use my, my, my career status. For example, one of the things that I notice is for the lack of better words, there is not as many of people of our color there's not many much diversity at the top. And, you know, I like, I have seen people at the top, but it's not as many. And, you know, it always makes me feel awesome. And it it makes me feel great when I do see people at the top. And when I say at the top, I mean the people that are in front of the crowds, the people who are, you know, at the podium, at the altar, leading the church. Those people, we don't have as much of, up there as we we honestly should and i'm not saying it as you know oh we should be up there too type thing it's like if they really want the you know if the church really wants to show more diversity it should for lack of better words again um help bring those people who are instead of just keeping us as i think you used the, the term earlier um the parenting complex something like along those lines white white paternalism right yeah white paternalism instead of just keeping us as you know that parent child relationship why not you know brother brother on a on a whole nother level where we you know where they bring us up and we equalize ourselves for and you know the church is equalized for real because for example um i'm in the military can't whatever um i'm on the enlisted side we don't see many officers of my skin tone you know it's it's a the the bring up a good point officers the darker higher ranking is usually enlisted so when we do see enlisted or officers who are on that darker side it's like okay i can get behind that you know you know it it helps us follow or it helps us real real quick uh, I want to break that down because I, I, my dad was in the military. I want to break that down. And I know you, you can help me out here too because you, you are in the military. The difference between an officer and someone who's enlisted, right? Someone mm-hmm. who enlisted, they have made a choice based off of a lot of times their circumstances. You know, they go mm-hmm. to these high schools, ROTC, mm-hmm. get these kids. They enlist in order to propel themselves to a better life. Those yep. who are officers, a lot of them have bachelor's degree. A lot yeah. of them have fam- have a uh, four or five family members who have been in the military yeah. before, and people can vouch for them and things yeah. like that. So the officer versus enlisted, you're gonna find some different groups of people uh, that cause degrees. Yes, exactly. So I wanted yeah. to break the that. biggest thing That's with that important. is like, yeah, one of them has a college degree, the other one doesn't, and typically that one who does have the college degree, like for example, um, my I was three years into the Marine Corps and I had um, officers who were six months into the Marine Corps. 
and they had zero experience about anything Marine as much. They didn't have as much experience as I did, but I still had to answer to them. Yeah. You know, so to speak. So that's the, that's like kind of the difference because of their degree, they're automatically put at a higher, you know, they're put at a different rank, um, a rank bracket, so to speak. Now, typically you only time, one of the main times you see a black officer is when either a, we had a scholarship to college or B we were already enlisted. And then we transferred over after, you know, transferred over to the officer side after we had been in it enough time to either make our way to get that which degree. Ain't, which or, ain't easy, right? No, it's not easy, especially to switch over from enlisted to officer. Cause the process is like, it takes a long time. Plus by the time you hit a certain rank on the enlisted side, you don't even want to switch over anymore because Typically, you're going to those four years where you got having to go through college, you're going to be losing like you're going to be losing that towards your retirement. So you're going to be even older than what you originally wanted to be when you retire. So like right now, I would love to go officer side. One, the pay's better. The lifestyle's better. But I, I, at this point, it's like, why do that when I'm going to lose four years trying to go put myself through a college? Just uh, I'm gonna lose four years, so now instead of retiring at 38, being a 38 year old retiree, I'm gonna be you know 40, 44, you know, retiree. That's still young, but still, that's four years of my life that I'm losing just to do school. And that's the same thing as far as being in the church. Um, it's either only time. So me, for example, I didn't originally want to. I, I wanted to join. It was my set, my backup plan. My original plan was to go to Bible college. My original plan, I, even to this day, um, I haven't told many people, I haven't really talked about it much, but I'm actually like thinking about looking into the process of switching over from mil- switching branches to become an RP, which is the enlisted side of being a religious, uh, religious, basically he's like the assistant pastor to the chaplain, so to speak. Okay, okay. So I'm looking into that. I have to get some more details on it. I'm going to see where that takes me. But, um, yeah, so me seeing more black people in not only uh, just seeing it, but people willingly following that black person. You know, not just people of our skin tone, but people of the fair skin, white people, Hispanic people. Like, that's one of those biggest things. Like, when you see, and we all know it, like, when you see the spirit on some Black people, it's a it's a different energy when they're up there. The whole the whole church acts totally different when you know we're up there, so to speak. And I'm you know I'm saying saying that with such a generic like blanket statement, and that's just because I'm trying not to specify on how. No, we 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 hear you. But it's one of those things where it's like, um, for example, now that's one thing that I can say was a little bit different because I did have at my, my home church, we did originally have an assistant pastor um, who was black. Now I'm not saying that the church, I, I wasn't there when he stepped down, but it was one of those things where it was like, the church completely changed. Once I graduated high school and I came back and I saw like how everything changed within a few years, like within two years, everything changed where the black pastor stepped down and I, you know, 
I want to say, I want to hope that it was the will of God, but at the same time, though, um, you don't know. It was one of those, I don't really know. And from the hearsay, he say, she say, the hearsay of everything, it was one of those situations where they were expecting, everybody in the church was expecting for the, you know, that, that assistant pastor to be put at the head because the head pastor was stepping down. But just so happened his son was being moved to the, you know, to that area, which I'm not, I'm not against him moving to that area. I feel like he should have moved to that area to be the assistant pastor. And the assist, the original assistant pastor should have been moved up. But why does that story sound so familiar? I feel like, I feel like every person I know got a story like that of a church they went to, a church they heard of, where that same thing happened. Yeah, it it was just crazy to me because, like, one, the entire church, like, it wasn't a situation where, you know, there was that blanket, you know, closet racism or anything like that. Yeah, you had your older people who were, you know, the ones who, I'm going to say this, and y'all going to understand, I'm hoping y'all understand me on this one. Um, some people you just can't help. You can't, you just can't change, you know, after after a certain age, it's at that cap of like they're stuck. You, you can't you can't fix something that doesn't even realize that it's broken. So you know at certain you know certain points we just have to live with it and accept that not everybody's going to change. But at the same time, with that same situation, that was still the minority, the ones who still didn't willingly want that or for example with how you said how you were telling me about how your church went out and they did a prayer march ours did a prayer march too how many people do you think actually showed up and i don't mean you know just throw that out there like that but how many people actually showed up it was right after service oh well we're talking the facts and from what i heard your pastor ended the service early so that way people had a chance to you know, <laughs> show up, but go ahead. But it wasn't many people that showed up. And, you know, I understand some work and, you know, some had other plans prior, but I don't see how other plans could, you know, personally, if it was me, you know, I understand our, our you know, certain people can't, you know, get out there and walk and march and they don't want to, you know, put themselves in harm's way, so to speak, because, it's crazy out there. I'm going to be honest. It's crazy out there. It is. Like, you know, not everybody's out there for the... For the cause. The cause. A lot of people are out there for the opportunity to, you know, on both sides, on the dark and fair-skinned sides. There are yeah. people out there who are just there for the ignorance, the good in their head, that good time, not a long time. I'm just here to tear stuff yep, up yep. and have fun doing that because ain't nobody going to touch me. And if I do get in jail, I'm just going to blame it on racism. And that, that's, what, that's one of those things where the church needs to be more involved in the community in a bigger way to where we see, you know, the, honestly, with my church, for example, um, I'm, I'm trying not to run over into things, but like – the biggest thing that I can say needs to be seen more is the church in general needs to be seen as a bigger forefront in 
the most developing parts of a child's life um, or in a young adult's life. Speak that, speak that, if, bro. If you, if you know that you got a young man who wants to go to, you know, wants to go to a Bible college or not even wants to go to a Bible college, they just have that feeling of being called. This is one, I'm going to be honest, this is part of my story of why I, I fell backwards. I fell backwards. I'm not going, I'm being honest. I fell backwards. I'm, I'm glad I'm back and I'm glad I'm moving forward, but I fell backwards and I was so lost and so stuck because, you know, I didn't really um, have that opportunity to really follow that, that calling right off the bat. And, you know, maybe that's just God's will, but at the same time, though, that could have been, you know, something that sometimes all it takes is a man of God's in. You can look in the Bible, and there are so many stories where all it took was a man of God to step in and attest and speak on that, that one person's behalf, and God made a move. God made a mountain move for that person because a young, because some, a man of God, somebody in that higher position, stood in their place. Yep, yep. And that's one of those things that the church needs to do. They need to put more effort into molding the the minority just as much as they mold the majority into being those religious leaders, being those spiritual leaders, not just being the prayer warrior or the, you know, I understand we have to be, we have to serve, but, you know, too often, are we always moved into the, the position of being the servant and never molded into the position of leading? And I think, can I jump in real quick? Yeah. I think that every position we are serving. I think the leader, they are serving as well. Um, it may just look different, but I've always been told the higher you go, the lower you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and the lower that you're supposed to be. I think um, that's brilliant. We do need more Black people in leadership, you know, making sure that they're the ones that are not only calling shots, but like also being that voice to say, yeah, this is an issue and this is what we can do to solve it or to fix it, whatever. I, please don't kill me, y'all, but they can't be whitewashed Black folks, though. And I'm gonna mute myself now. And I oop. Uh, again, we're gonna leave that for for another day. Uh, but everybody listening, know we don't got too. We don't got to. I'm do, just saying. Too much talking. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> saying they cannot be whitewashed because ba- you don't listen. Listen, you don't know don't it. Send me, don't send me a video of Candace Owens. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> don't do that. And someone did that to me this week. Don't do that. Please don't do that because that, that's a problem for me. Like, I don't, don't want do to see it. I don't want to see the video, actually. I, you know? They, it's crazy. She put them is. in leadership, but they cannot be whitewashed. They need to be for the people, for God, for change. I don't want to hear... Blinded, man. They're for the blinded, cause. Blinded. And it's like, I don't know how to convey to you this is an issue. You know what I mean? Without like they, get those, they get those black people that's, that grew up in the suburbs their whole life. Right. Or the ones that have been sheltered or shut up. Because let's be real. This is a struggle because I'm a black woman, but I'm so I'm black. 
I'm a woman. So if I address something or if I say something, I'm aggressive. Let, let's, let's be real. It's not, I just have a difference of opinion. It's no, oh my God, you're aggressive. Like you can't say that or you can't do, it's not it, you know? And so if, if you whitewash, you know what I'm saying? You don't, you don't see things the way I see it. You feel me? So yeah, definitely. Nah, but let, but but let's also talk about us, right? Mm-hmm. We are the people who are, and this is coming to your point a little bit there, Trav. When we are supposed to be climbing that ladder, I would say, when there are, there's going to come moments in your journey where you're going to have to pick a side, and you shouldn't have to, obviously. But your integrity should matter the most because God knows your heart. The people who use who are who are who you are serving and the people who you serve should know your heart. And so my point is, there's gonna come become an opportunity for you to let a comment slide or uh, don't say anything when you clearly been passed over for someone else to speak at an event. Obviously, don't let that stuff get you down and get you bitter and get you destroyed and destroy mm-hmm. your relationship. But speak out and say something because if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. You know what a difference is a mile and an inch is a lot, and so if they if they feel like they can always skip you over for the events, mm-hmm. feel like they can always not ask you to preach at their churches and only at certain churches, start calling, asking around. Hey, bro, I really love come preach at your church. I know all your people are white, but I'm down. You know what I'm saying? And so mm-hmm. be putting in, be putting yourselves in positions where they 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 can. That they they can't make the choice for you. You're sort of inserting yourself into mm-hmm. into areas maybe you wouldn't have been unless you said something. You know what I'm saying? For example, you want to speak at youth convention and you are you are literally you are clearly on trajectory to speak at youth convention, right? And you're black. And two years in a row, they ask someone else to preach. It's not about you wanting to do this for yourself, but it's it's about the fact that you know you're called to do it. You're in a position to do it. The timing is right. Everything is right, except maybe you're just not saying nothing. Maybe you're just not asking around. Obviously, like I said, you got to take this and, and sort of, you know, be, find a balance because you don't want to get bitter. You don't want to get upset and things like that. But the longer you don't say nothing, the longer they don't, they don't know what you're going through and what, you, what you're feeling when it comes to this stuff. Like I said, they, they may know, but if you don't say nothing, they're not going to do nothing about it. So that's what I'll say about that, uh, especially when it comes to like stuff we're talking about, Travis. Um, your walk, your walk with God is most important. If you never preach a youth convention, you can still go to heaven. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But if you know you're supposed to preach a youth convention, fight for that. Do do what's yep. right. Put yourself in positions where they can't tell you no. I'm the best preacher in this region, and you doggone know it. You know what I'm saying? Stuff like that. And so. <clears throat> That's what I'm saying about black power. Close that gap, bro. Close that gap. Um, are there any closing comments before we get out? I'm Danny, look like you want to say something, bro. I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking. I'll get, hold on. Am I muted? Um, You're good. So I'll let someone else go and then maybe I'll jump in. Does anyone have any other, any other comments before we wrap up? Because like I said, I want to do a part two and y'all all are invited. I might try to have it. W- look. It was a struggle to find black people. I'm like, who wants me on? Like, I'm trying to find some black folks to get on this podcast. I asked. Man, Tia, I thought about it. Look, huh? man, I thought about. It. I'm like, man, I wonder who else on this pod. Like, I wonder who else on this little the chat because I'm like, I can't think of anybody that I know of that's like straight up 
like, I didn't even know that you were going to have all black people on it, but I just kind of figured because it's a topic and I know how you is and the, the stuff that you represent. So I'm like, man, I wonder who he's going to have. So it was kind of interesting I, to see. What I had to search far and wide, you know, I had to search far and wide. But hopefully it's hard, bro. I need you to add Kazane next week. <laughs> Uh-uh, can't do that. Can't Please, do that. Can't do that. No. Please. If y'all listening, that's my younger that's my younger sister, and she is a firecracker. Hey, she with it. She will get all of us sat down and we didn't even Please say nothing. You're right. <laughs> so <laughs> go go ahead, Travis. Um one another one other thing that I would say is um just like one, I love all y'all. I, I love this. Uh, one thing that I would say that we can do is maybe not part two, maybe there's a part three or part four once we, you know, set our piece in a way to where we not going to pop off. Start with those who are invited to the cookout. <laughs> I'm super down. I did. Come you know up. what? And I thought about I thought about bringing that up. I thought about saying, "Hey, what if we for this one?" But this one might be a bit touchy. Coming, you know, coming straight out the gate, the very first one would have been a bit touchy. But you know, maybe you know, down the line, or eventually, we you know start with those that are you know, for the lack of better words, invited to the cookout. And listen, so that I- we can hear somebody on you know. On the side, say on the same side as the movement, but they're not viewed. They're not viewed the same way we are. Yes, I would say, bro, that's exactly the plan. I've got people in mind. I know people who speak better than me about this who are not black, and mm-hmm. I, I want I want everyone listening to know that we do need allies. I know I saw Terry Crews say something that I don't agree with, but I could see what he was trying to say. He's basically talking about trying to dismantle, uh, you know, uh, white supremacy. But if we do it only with black people, it can turn into black supremacy. I don't agree with that point. But what maybe he was trying to say and what I got from it once I got done being upset about him being a certain type. But um, anyway, um, what I got from that is that we do need allies and there's nothing wrong with that. But for this podcast, it needed to be black voices. For this specific one, it needed to be black voices. And that was my point. I talked about this with multiple people. They don't agree. That's fine. But this needed to be black voices. And going forward, when we start talking about, you know, how both sides can sort of merge the gap, then we can bring in people who were invited to the cookout. There's plenty. Good people that we know, bro. At your church, my church, we got good folks. boiling. Yep. We, we got right. good folks. Yeah. We got good folks that are willing to go for bat, willing to go bat for to go to bat for us, and their voices are strong, they're powerful, and we need to bond together. So, I'm so one thing, here. go ahead, Danny. Uh, I just I just want to say that, um, and this might be something for the next one, but uh, we should all be encouraged. We should honestly be encouraged. Um, I've had the the privilege of being able to travel to tons and tons of different churches. And I see a lot of different things. I see some, some churches that are weaker in some areas and some that are so, so strong. So I would just say we need to be encouraged. It's um, actually research shows that, um, and you could almost find it true anecdotally. We, uh, it almost seems, you know, you've heard it said, uh, it seems like every time I wash my car, it rains. 
It's because our yeah. minds highlight the negative and that's natural and it's okay. And it's good when you're looking for a problem. Um, but that's just, that's another issue that bleeds over. It's, we could talk about the police. Police are always looking for a problem and you always are going to see what you're looking for. So we should just be encouraged. Yeah. We should also see the positive, see the victories and, you know, walk forward determined, but with a smile on our face. Mm-hmm. And like and like Marcus Peters said from the Rams, I don't know if he's still in the Rams anymore. He said, "No, bro, he on Baltimore." <laughs> oh, you're right, you're right. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. That was all all of last year. But what I love that he said, it wasn't about this stuff. It was about football. He said, "I think we ain't done. I think we ain't done." And that's a major fact. We're not done. We're not done yet. Uh, we should be encouraged, but we're not done yet. So. Uh, I want to thank all of y'all for being on, Janan, Travis, Kamaya, Brianna, Demont, Tia, Danny. I want to appreciate, I, I really appreciate y'all because this is not an easy thing to do and you might get a talking to and I apologize for that. Hit me later if you want me to take out certain parts because I could do that, but I feel like the no, truth. No, I'm Gucci. Is, we Gucci, man. They are, they, you already know no, how we no, go. No, yes, sir. Yep. The, right. truth, the truth needed to be they said. And a lot of people need to hear this and not, not just white people, but black people need to hear this yeah. um, and, and come out, come out of that, that stupor and, and some of that ignorance that they got going on. Uh, but anyway, uh, appreciate y'all. And uh, we will definitely have a part two, maybe a part three, and uh, we'll talk more about this. So uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, be on the lookout for the next episode. Appreciate you. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. For more encouraging messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out past episodes. If you like what you just heard, please consider rating and sharing it with your friends. God bless and don't forget to be a hyphen.